0: Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware. We have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit. But frankly, we don't give a shit.
1: Welcome to For Fox Sake, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Carly, and the daring Gryffindor to my right is Ellen. That's me. Rarr. I'm a lion.
0: <laughs> what sound does a badger make? Okay, As we'll go with digs. that. <laughs> anyway, let's fly into the Phoenix Flashback. Last week, we covered the second part of Chapter 37, the lost prophecy, and the absolutely no corresponding film scene. Our Our God God Daddy, Daddy, who who art in heaven, Dumbledore Dumbledore takes thy blame. For his death. Creature is being a disrespectful house elf and lying to Harry. Voldemort sees Harry's love as a weakness, and Harry finds out that's how he was tricked into going to the ministry, Harry complains, at length, about Snape. Uh, Professor Snape. Dumbledore points out that Severus was acting in the best interest of his students and the Order. Dumbledore then expands on why Harry was taken by the Satchels of Assholes, which boils down to the magic in Harry's and Petunia's blood. We end this section with Dumbledore finally about to give Harry some details he should have done years ago.
1: During episode 187, Boldadort, our Potter Pondering was. How do you feel about how Dumbledore handled the scenario?
2: Hey, Ellen. Hey, Carly. (laughs) Man, it still feels odd to say that when it's been ages of Ellen and Katie. (laughs) But anyway, so guys, here's my pondering for this week. How do I feel about how Dumbledore handled the scenario (laughs) with Harry? Look, I've always still been sort of conflicted on that. I mean, I get it. He wanted to spare Harry more pain than what he'd been through already and maybe he should have told him. But then on the other hand, should he have told him? I mean, Harry was 11 years old. Would he have been able to handle that? I mean, it's not an easy answer. He probably should have told him, but at the same time, I get why he didn't. Harry was a kid. He wanted Harry to have some happiness in his life. To, you know, to actually feel normal, I guess. It's not an easy answer.
3: Hi, this is Jessica calling in my Potter Pondering for this week. How I feel about how Dumbledore handled the scenario with Harry. He definitely could have handled it better, for sure. But I appreciate that he took ownership of that and admitted that he kept meaning to tell Harry more. Prophecy, the protection spell, everything, but kept putting it off. Like, that's future me's problem. (laughs) Which is just another reason to be annoyed at how they wrote the scene for the movie. Because Dumbledore is way less compassionate and redeemable in the movies than the books. Dumbledick versus Dumbledorable. (laughs) We know who wins. (laughs) I don't know, I hope the show gets it right at least. This scene was so important for their relationship and the reasons Harry actually cares about him. Dumbledore said he wanted Voldemort to believe that he and Harry were no more than teacher and pupil. And that's basically all they were in the movies either way. I really wish... We got to see this softer side of Dumbledore because it makes his whole character far more likable. Again, he could have handled the Harry situation better by communicating like at the end of last summer or at the beginning of the year and like straight up told him he's going to keep his distance and what his intentions were and then like staying away for like Voldemort's sake and whatnot. But just straight up neglecting him was a terrible way to go. I imagine that if Harry could have like felt that he trusted Dumbledore, then a lot could have gone differently this year. Between his Aquaman's lessons and all of his meddling. <laughs> Not to mention Umbridge and everything that happened there because he felt like he needed to do something somewhere, somehow before all of the other shit went wrong. I mean, there's just so many what ifs, but bottom line, yeah, Dumbledore could have handled the situation way better. Alright, bye.
0: Hi everyone,
2: it's Max from England here.
0: I think that Dumbledore's attitude towards Harry is this sort of protective naivety that ultimately gets them both killed at least once. With the Prophecy in particular, though, Harry gets so damn possessive and fixated that it's totally understandable why Dumbledore would blank him all year and not tell him much about it in the first place.
1: Thank you so much for your responses. Our trivia question
0: last week was, what does Dumbledore say ended up saving Harry
1: from being possessed by
0: Voldemort?
1: Dumbledore told Harry that it didn't matter that he couldn't close his mind. In the end, it was his heart that saved him.
0: Oh well... Congratulations goes to Mike Riley! Yay! This is two weeks in a row. Our current reigning champion is starting up a new streak. Will he be able to keep it going?
1: You never know. For now, let's dive into the third part of Chapter 37, The Lost Prophecy, and the still no corresponding film scenes.
0: Chapter 37, The Lost Prophecy, Part 3. Dumbledore continues to explain that as long as Harry can call Number 4 Privet Drive home, he's safe there, and his aunt knows this since Dumbledore explained it all in a letter. At this point, Harry remembers the howler that his aunt received that previous summer and realizes that Dumbledore was the one who sent it. Dumbledore confirms this and explains that he thought she might need reminding of the pact she had sealed by taking him, especially after the Dementor attack alerted her to the dangers of having him as a surrogate son. Harry tells Dumbledore that it was really more his uncle than her, but the Howler made her tell Vernon that he had to stay. He wants to know what this has to do with Sirius, but trails off before saying his godfather's name. Dumbledore continues with the story, pointing out that Harry wasn't as happy or nourished as he would have preferred, but was at least alive and healthy. So, thus far, his plan was working. Then, during his first year at Hogwarts, he found himself face-to-face with Voldemort much sooner than Dumbledore had anticipated, and not only survived, but also delayed his return to full power. He tells Harry how proud he was of him, but then also points out the obvious flaw in his plan. Even though he knew he couldn't let the flaw ruin his plan, he still found himself letting it. Harry doesn't understand, and Dumbledore reminds him how he asked him why Voldemort tried to kill him, and wonders if he should have told him then.
1: Harry's heart starts racing as Dumbledore points out the flaw that he told himself Eleven was too young for that knowledge, so he waited to tell him. Then, in Harry's second year, he met more challenges that many grown wizards haven't even faced and again survived them beyond Dumbledore's expectations. Though they do discuss his scar and come close to the topic, he doesn't ask again. So Dumbledore again doesn't tell him, since 12 isn't too much older than 11, and he couldn't bring himself to spoil that night of triumph. Harry still doesn't quite get it, and Dumbledore explains that he cared too much about him and his happiness to give Harry the truth that he acted exactly as Voldemort expected fools who love to act. His only defense is that he doesn't think anyone who watched Harry as closely as he did would not want to save him from more pain and suffering. They then enter Harry's third year, and Dumbledore watched as Harry struggled to repel Dementors, found and saved his godfather, and again he avoided telling him, not wanting to ruin the moment of saving Sirius from the Ministry. At this point, he's running out of excuses because, though 13 is still young, Harry has proven himself to be exceptional, and he knew the time was coming soon. After coming out of the maze, seeing Cedric die, and narrowly escaping his own death the previous year, Dumbledore still did not tell him, though Voldemort had returned, and he knew he'd need to soon. But with all his struggles, he couldn't bring himself to add another one, the greatest one of all, Harry waits, but when Dumbledore doesn't elaborate, he confesses that he still doesn't understand. The headmaster tells him that Voldemort tried to kill him as a child because of the prophecy made shortly before his birth. Voldemort knew about the prophecy, but not its full contents. Despite this, the dark wizard sets out to kill Harry as a baby, thinking he was fulfilling the prophecy, but instead having it backfire on him and destroying him. Since he has returned to his body, he has been determined to hear that prophecy in its entirety, figuring it will contain the knowledge of how to finally destroy Harry. Harry tells Dumbledore that the prophecy smashed when he was pulling Neville up the benches in the room with the archway. The headmaster informs him that the thing that smashed was merely a record of the prophecy, and the person who heard it made has the means to recall it perfectly. Though Harry already knows the answer, he asks who heard it. Dumbledore says he did on a cold, wet night 16 years earlier in a room above the bar at the Hogshead Inn. He was there to interview someone for the Divination Teacher post, even though he was more inclined to discontinue the subject. However, the applicant was the great-great-granddaughter of a famous and gifted seer, so he agreed to meet with her. It didn't seem that she had the gift herself, so he informed her he didn't think she was suitable and turned to leave. At this point in the story, Dumbledore stands and moves over to the black cabinet near Fox's perch, where he retrieves the pensieve and takes it over to his desk. He then puts his wand to his temple and withdraws some silvery strands that he puts in the basin. They swirl inside, and with a sigh, Dumbledore prods it with his wand, prompting a shawled figure in enormous glasses to rise out of it. Sybil Trelawney slowly revolves above the basin, then speaks in a harsh tone Harry had heard once before. She says, The one with the power to vanquish the Dark Lord approaches, born to those who have thrice defied him, born as the seven-month dies, and the Dark Lord will mark him as his equal, but he will have power the Dark Lord knows not. And either must die at the hand of the other, for neither can live while the other survives. The one with the power to vanquish the Dark Lord will be born as the seven-month dies. She sinks back into the silver mass below and vanishes as Dumbledore's entire office falls silent until Harry quietly asks what it means. Dumbledore breaks it down, explaining that the person who has the only chance of defeating Voldemort was born at the end of July nearly 16 years ago to parents who had defied Voldemort three times. Harry questions whether it means him. Dumbledore looks him over before informing him that it could also have been Neville Longbottom. But after Voldemort attacked Harry, the prophecy was relabeled under the assumption that Voldemort knew that Harry was the one whom Sybil was referring to. Harry reiterates that it might not mean him, but Dumbledore clarifies that it definitely does, since the next part of the prophecy states that Voldemort will mark him as his equal, and when Voldemort chose Harry, he gave him the scar that proved to be a blessing and a curse. He points out that he didn't choose the pure blood, but rather the half-blood like himself. He saw himself in Harry, and in failing to kill him, marking him with the scar, he gave him powers and a future that has fitted him to escape four times so far. Harry wonders why he didn't wait until he and Neville were older to see who would be more dangerous. Dumbledore agrees that that would have been more practical, but also explains that Voldemort's followers only heard the first part of the prophecy. They had no idea that attacking Harry would risk transferring power and that he would have power the Dark Lord knows not. Harry interjects that he doesn't have powers he hasn't got. He can't fight how he did or possess people or kill them. Dumbledore interrupts him to bring up the room in the Department of Mysteries that is kept locked at all times because it contains a force more wonderful and terrible than death, human intelligence, and the forces of nature. Harry possesses it in such quantities, and Voldemort has none at all. It is the power that took Harry to save Sirius and saved him from being possessed by Voldemort. Harry closes his eyes and asks about the end of the prophecy, asking if it means that one of them has to kill the other in the end. Dumbledore confirms this, and they both sit in silence, allowing Harry to hear students heading down to the Great Hall for breakfast. It seems impossible that there are people in the world who still desire food and laugh, and neither know or care that Sirius Black is gone forever. Sirius seems a million miles away, and part of Harry still believes that if he had only pulled back the curtain, Sirius would have been there looking back at him. Dumbledore cuts off this line of thinking with one more thing, confessing that he didn't choose him as a prefect because he thought he had enough responsibility to be going on with. Harry looks up at his headmaster and sees tears trickling down his face into his long, silver beard. So
0: like we said last week, we had to split what was left of this chapter in half again, making it another three-parter.
1: Yeah, we really didn't see it coming initially, because yes, it was 15 pages, but there were no movie scenes. Yeah, you'd think that would have made the
0: episode shorter, not longer, but... It is really dense information, which just makes it a travesty that there are no movie scenes.
1: 100%.
0: But we cut it off when we're in the middle of learning why Dumbledore placed Harry with his satchels of assholes that don't really deserve the title of relatives. There's always that. So while he's there, residing with his mother's blood, specifically Voldemort can't touch him. But it does say that he's safe from the followers too. And he leaves Petunia a letter to explain everything to her, which I'm sure he had said in the letter that she's supposed to tell Harry about it as well. But since they were all trying to stomp that nonsense out of him, they obviously did not give him that information. At the mention of the letter, Harry thinks back to that howler that she got. That just said, remember my last Petunia? And it clicks for him that that was Dumbledore's voice. And he was like, you sent that howler. Which Dumbledore says, yeah, that was me. I thought she might need reminding of that pact that she sealed when she agreed to take you in. Especially since I was pretty sure that that Dementor attack on her son was going to awaken her to the dangers of having you as a surrogate. Would be. And... Harry says, basically, but it was really more my Uncle Vernon than it was her. But once she got the howler, she said, we have to keep him.
1: I guess Vernon and Petunia were married when all of this stuff happened with Lily and James. But I don't think that Vernon understands the ramifications of being part of the wizarding world when there is a wizarding war going on. And I don't. I think maybe Petunia understands it a little bit more just because she grew up with Lily in the house and Lily was probably coming home and telling mom and dad about there's this dark wizard, blah, blah, blah. I think maybe Petunia had a little bit more respect for what was happening or understanding of what was happening and felt safe because she had her husband, but I don't think that he really realized the dangers they were doing by taking in Harry yeah well like I said her jealousy
0: caused her to seek out the most opposite from magic person she could find and I think that for the most part she was just living in all sorts of denial and was just trying to not think about it but when her son gets attacked by a dementor there's no not thinking about it it becomes very real then
1: They did move to a plain Jane neighborhood in the middle of nowhere where you think that no magical things would happen. They're not in the middle of nowhere, but like they're in the middle of the muggle world where you think nothing magical is going to happen. But it's like they don't realize that the magical stuff is always around them. They don't want to realize it for sure. Muggles don't see nothing. Not if you stab them with a fork in the field.
0: Harry starts to ask what this has to do with Sirius, but he can't bring himself to say his name. So he just kind of trails off, and Dumbledore continues the story, saying that even though he wasn't as happy or nourished as he had hoped he'd be, he was at least alive, and therefore his plan was working. Our baseline
1: is alive. That's concerning. Well,
0: (laughs) I mean... Isn't that kind of the baseline for everybody, though? Because if you're not alive, what good does it do to be happy? (laughs) I guess that's true. (laughs) (laughs) But in Harry's first year at Hogwarts, way sooner than Dumbledore ever expected, he finds himself face-to-face with Voldemort and not only survives, but actually delays his return to power. Dumbledore is super proud of him for this, tells him so in this moment and everything. But then says, and now we've run into the very obvious flaw that I had hoped to avoid and didn't. And Harry's just like, what do you mean? Obvious flaw. And Dumbledore says, do you remember how you asked me why Voldemort tried to kill you? And I told you that I couldn't tell you yet. Should I have told you then? Eleven is really young.
1: I know that Eleven is really young, especially to hear the whole entirety of it. But I feel like you could have given him a little bit of something. Like, this would have definitely helped him develop his understanding of Voldemort and how he's going to move forward. Because Dumbledore knows the prophecy. He knows what's going to end up happening. It's just you could have given him a little bit of something. Just a little bit. Something.
0: But Eleven was too young, so he decided to wait. Dumbledore's downfall. Then, Harry comes back for year two, faces even more challenges that so many, probably the majority of grown wizards, that don't go into some kind of magical law enforcement or something, but I would say the majority of them don't have to deal with things like that. Harry's solving puzzles and saving people and facing basilisks. (laughs) Like, it's ridiculous.
1: Harry solved a 500-year-old puzzle that nobody could figure out. Apparently, there had to be other parcel tongues there. Like, come on.
0: I mean, they did say it was really rare. It can't be that rare. Harry could only speak it because of Voldemort's soul within him.
1: Yeah, but, I mean, in all honesty, there has to be at least, like, one or two every hundred years, I would assume. But, I mean, I guess... If you don't go looking, like, Voldemort went looking for the chamber, and he figured it out. He's not the brightest bulb in the tanning bed. I mean, come on. It's
0: entirely possible that it was a purely Salazar Slytherin trait that he passed down only in his bloodline.
1: But they didn't say it that way. They said it was rare. But, yeah, I mean... I mean, all of the Gaunts could speak it. They could. And even in Hogwarts Legacy, Ominous can speak it, and he really doesn't like his family so he doesn't but he does have the ability to so it could just be a slytherin trait
0: for all we know he did something to himself to make it possible because of his affinity for snakes Eh, i don't know anyway harry does all this stuff beyond dumbledore's expectations and at the end of the year, they have their powwow and they come close to talking about it again. They do talk about his scar. But since Harry doesn't ask, Dumbledore doesn't bring it up specifically. He tells himself that 12 not that much older than 11 and he didn't want to spoil his night of triumph.
1: Also, Lucius shows up. So you can't really be explaining stuff about how Harry's connected to Voldemort when there's prime Voldemort supporter there. Yeah,
0: that's true. As Harry is not quite following, he asks, he's like, I don't know what you mean. And Dumbledore just flat out explains that he cared too much about him. I cared too much about you and your happiness to tell you the truth. I didn't want to take that away from you. And he kind of defends himself. Like, he knows that he was wrong. He knows that he messed up. But he says that the only defense he can really give himself is that he would challenge anybody who has watched Harry as closely as he has, and he has watched Harry closer than anybody even knows, but he would challenge them to not want to save him from more pain and suffering. Like, this kid has had a really unfortunate life. He has a lot to be upset about. And Dumbledore just wanted to protect him
1: from the worst of it, to be honest. I wish he would have put in some effort to make Neville's years a little better. (laughs) Like protecting Harry cool can we protect Neville too yeah I don't know I mean
0: the whole story is from Harry's perspective so we don't really know what kind of interactions he did have with other students I like to hope that he watched Neville too and tried to interject when he could who knows anyway we get into Harry's third year again Dumbledore's watching Harry's trying to figure out how to repel Dementors. He finds and saves his godfather. Again, he's facing challenges that most adults wouldn't have to deal with and rises to them. And when he manages to save Sirius, an innocent man, from the Ministry and a terrible fate, Dumbledore again doesn't want to ruin that for him. And again doesn't tell him. He's like, you just found and saved your godfather. You're so happy right now. You think there's a chance you could end up living with him, even though he has to be on the run now. I just can't, in this moment, shatter that for you.
1: And I understand that. But I think what should have happened is it should have been, like, the sixth book where Dumbledore comes and meet and greets with Harry halfway through the summer you know, two weeks into the summer or whatever, he explained, if you don't want to ruin the moment in the moment, take some time, my guy. Yeah. I think he was just trying
0: to prolong a normal life for Harry as much as he possibly could. And this wasn't the right way to do it, as he ends up learning, leading to this moment. But at this point, he knows that he's running out of time. He's getting to that point where he is not going to have any choice but to tell him. And then... After he sees Cedric die and manages to get out of the graveyard and comes out of the maze, narrowly escaping his own death, Dumbledore doesn't bring it up because, like we said, this is a traumatic time and he's still trying to deal with all of the fallout of Voldemort coming back. And Harry is traumatized, so he's like, this isn't the time for me to pile more on you. But also, like you said, maybe he should have met up with him in the summer and given him the information then. I think that absolutely at this point, Dumbledore's
1: like, maybe I should have done that. I definitely understand where he's coming from. Like, I get it. All the stuff he's saying, it's not an excuse. It literally makes sense. Like, you don't want to do that to a kid, especially a 14-year-old who just watched one of his classmates die. You don't want to add more and be like, hey, you're probably going to have to kill the Dark Lord at some point, just FYI. Like, I get it. It makes sense, but again, take two weeks and then be like, hey! Hey, Right? Like, you just
0: watched your classmate die and saw your parents and had a conversation with them for the first time ever. Narrowly escape death yourself, and by the way, this is totally going to happen again, and it's going to end in your death or Voldemort's death at your hand. One of the two. Have a good summer. Like, it's... (laughs) It's not the time, and I get that, but then he really fucked it up because he just never told him. He ignored him for the whole school year, the summer and school year, and Harry again has to be like, I'm still not getting what you're saying here. Because you're not a Ravenclaw. Yeah. And Dumbledore has to just flat out spell it out for him. Voldemort tried to kill you as a baby because of a prophecy that was made shortly before you were born. He got to hear about part of it, but since he didn't know all of it, he set out to kill Harry, lacking information, and fucked it all up. It backfired on him, ended up destroying him, as Harry already knows. He just didn't know the why. But now that he's returned to his body, his sole focus has been hearing this prophecy in its entirety, which is exactly why... All of this went down because he wanted to hear this prophecy convinced that it would give him insight on how to actually destroy Harry because he couldn't do it as a baby. Harry says that the prophecy smashed when he was trying to help Neville and Dumbledore's just like, yeah, but that was just a copy of it. The person who heard the prophecy can absolutely recall the whole thing perfectly. And I love this because Harry's just like, who heard the prophecy, Dumbledore? (laughs) (laughs) and Dumbledore says why I did Harry (laughs) I mean not exactly like that but
1: in my head
0: that's totally
1: what happened that is 100%
0: how it played out and Dumbledore says that it was a cold wet night 16 years earlier in a room above the bar at the Hogshead Inn
1: which was our trivia question
0: Yeah, this is actually our trivia question from two weeks ago because of the way we split it. It fell into this episode, not last week's episode, but we did what we could. Yep. He was there to interview someone for the divination post, even though he was kind of like, yeah, the subject's pretty useless, but she's the great-great-granddaughter of a famous and well-respected seer, so I guess I could at least meet her. And during the interview, she didn't seem to portray any evidence of having the gift herself so he's just like peace out yo this ain't gonna work i think he said it more politely than that but maybe not he does specifically say i told her courteously i hope that he didn't think she was suited but he turns to leave and she changes but instead of telling this part of the story Dumbledore just stands and goes over to the cabinet by Fox's perch and pulls out the pensive, takes it over to his desk, sets it down, points his wand to his temple and pulls out some of the brain drops it in the basin and prods it with his wand, causing a silvery figure to rise up out of it and start revolving on the spot. And then she starts speaking. But instead of her usual airy-fairy voice that Harry is typically used to, she uses that really harsh, raspy voice that he did hear one other time. And proceeds to say, The one with the power to vanquish the Dark Lord approaches. Born to those who have thrice defied him. Born as the seventh month dies. And the Dark Lord will mark him as his equal, but he will have power the Dark Lord knows not. And either must die at the hand of the other, for neither can live while the other survives. The one with the power to vanquish the Dark Lord will be born as the seventh month dies.
1: In the movie, we don't quite get that much information. And she says when Harry picks it up and it autoplays, The one with the power to vanquish the Dark Lord approaches and the Dark Lord shall mark him as his equal, but he shall have power the Dark Lord knows not, for neither can live while the other survives. I want to point out, one, that it is atrocious that they left out the whole prophecy. It was word for word. They just cut chunks of it out, and
0: it would have been like five more seconds.
1: Yes. So this drives me nuts for several reasons, but leaving this out is important because if you just hear the movie prophecy it's confusing why harry automatically thinks so i'm supposed to be the one to kill voldemort i didn't say that at all (laughs) like at all so it's very confusing
0: whereas in the book we also get the detail that he's not just approaching he's literally about to be born two parents who have thrice defied him like How are they supposed to know that it's even Harry with the information that the movie gave?
1: But also, atrocious that they left this whole thing out because they don't mention that Neville could be living Harry's life at this moment. And leaving out Neville's entire hero story is bullshit. Yeah, they like tickled it. We've talked
0: about that before, but we'll get to that when we get to that. It's so infuriating. And especially confusing, like you were saying, to specifically say and either must die at the hand of the other, for neither can live while the other survives. Clearly states, in a very flowery way, that one of them has to kill the other one.
1: But to just say, neither can live while the other survive? Can I say that it sounds like she was always predicting that Harry would win, because Harry's out here living his life, and Voldemort's out here surviving, just trying to be immortal, and it sounds to me in the prophecy that she's clearly stating that Harry is going to be the one that ends up living in this scenario.
0: Especially jumping from, he shall have power the Dark Lord knows not into, for neither can live while the other survives. Like,
1: it's just stating Harry has the power. But it's just, it's not clear. movie. it's annoying. It's so confusing in the movie. I was telling Ellen the other day that I was like, how... Did Harry just, like, jump to that, that I have to kill Voldemort? And she was like, oh, well, in the book, it's much more detailed. (laughs)
0: Plot armor (laughs) in the movie. But in the book, she then sinks back into the silvery mass of the pensive, and Dumbledore's entire office falls silent, because now even the portraits have heard this, and Harry has no idea what to say, and Dumbledore is just observing, because that's what Dumbledore does. And then... Harry's finally just like, what does that mean? (laughs) He didn't come to that conclusion on his own own. He has to ask what it means. So Dumbledore kind of breaks it down, explains that the only person that will have any chance of defeating Voldemort was born at the end of July, nearly 16 years ago, to parents who already defied Voldemort three times, which which just means escaped. Yep, which could be Neville
1: as well as Harry.
0: Yeah, and that's what he says next. Harry's like, does that mean me? And Dumbledore says, funnily enough, it actually could have meant you or Neville, who was also born end of July, July 30th, to parents that had also thrice defied Voldemort. But after Voldemort attacked Harry... The Ministry relabeled the prophecy to say Voldemort and Harry, since they assumed that that must be who Sybil was referring to.
1: But Harry's just like, but it might not be me, right? Not me, maybe? It's nice that he thinks that, but uh, as the chosen one... Yeah,
0: which Dumbledore points out, no, it's definitely you. Now. Now, because the next part of the prophecy is that Voldemort will mark him as his equal... And now you got a nice little lightning bolt scar on your head. There's your mark. So now Harry's trying a different tact, but he might have chosen wrong, right? No,
1: baby. No, that's not not. how that works. It's
0: not how that works. And Dumbledore says he chose the boy he thought was going to be the biggest threat to him. And you'll notice he chose the half blood like himself,
1: not the pure blood. He chose the one like himself because he thinks he is the strongest, which is not entirely true. Yeah, he saw himself in Harry. And they talk about that. Dumbledore says that. He says, you know, he mentioned that to you in the Chamber of Secrets that you guys were very similar. Yeah. they, They had that conversation. So he picked Harry. He tried to kill him, failed,
0: accidentally gave him some powers in that scar. And that's what helped Harry escape. Four times so far, which is more than either his parents or Neville's parents ever did. And Harry now wants to know why he didn't wait until they were older so he could determine who was going to be the greater danger to him. And Dumbledore's like, yeah, that would have been smart, but Voldemort also wasn't in
1: Ravenclaw. He also wasn't in Hufflepuff, so he's no patience." Yeah. And... His follower who overheard the prophecy only
0: heard the first part, so he can only tell him the part that he overheard and didn't hear the part that said attacking Harry would transfer powers to him and that he would have powers the Dark Lord knows not, so oops on Voldemort's part. Harry's just like, I don't have powers that he doesn't have, like, I can't. Fight the way he did. I can't possess people. I can't do any of that shit. And Dumbledore just, you know, calmly says There's a room in the Department of Mysteries that is kept locked at all times. And like I said, I theorized that this is the room that melted Sirius's knife when they tried to use it to unlock that door, where they study a force that is more wonderful and terrible than death human intelligence and forces of nature. It's a force that Harry possesses in mass quantities. And Voldemort just completely shuns. Like, he doesn't have any of this at all. He has no concept of what it even means. And it's the power that took Harry to save Sirius and saved him from being possessed by Voldemort, which we already talked about. It was
1: that love. Love, Harry. It's interesting the way that they put all this together. Because when the author mentions this room that's locked at all times... It has wonderful and terrible things in it. It's a very interesting way to describe love. I think it's not inaccurate, though. Oh, absolutely. It's 100% accurate that it is
0: a wonderful and terrible thing. When you look at these beautiful couples that make each other better, and then you look at people like, the first thing that popped to my mind is Harley Quinn and Joker. You know?
1: (sighs) Things are wonderful in one aspect but then all the pain that you end up suffering from a loss of somebody that you love there is that as well which is what
0: Harry's going through right now Harry's been
1: going through that for 15
0: years well that too yeah he's got a lot to be upset about but it is something that both makes him stronger at the same time that it's hurting him at this particular moment especially and Dumbledore does specifically point out to him that that is still what saved him. Like, it's hurting you right now. I know that. But in the end, when Voldemort was trying to possess you, he couldn't because of your heart, because of your capacity to love. Which was our trivia question. Yep. And that one does actually fit in from last week to this week. So yay. And we kind of got a taste of this in the movie. Last week, we got a mist of the <laughs> yes.
1: air, not even a taste.
0: It's like one of those olive oil misters that they're really difficult to spray because olive oil is kind of thick. Yeah. But you can get it to it's spray like a, a little bit. Bottle. Yeah. yeah. That's what happened with this. They were like, the same reason that you went to save Syria. I cared. And that was it. <laughs> it didn't even really fully tie into why it came up. Like they flat out say, that the power that Harry has that's going to enable him to defeat Voldemort in the
1: long run is love. The movies do such an injustice to this whole piece. I mean, obviously we have no movie parts for this part. Just good content that they were like, eh, nah. <laughs> Dialogue's boring. But even the
0: fact that they had the scene in the movie They just needed to give us a little bit more. They didn't have to do all 15 pages worth.
1: No, but they could have given more detail into what Dumbledore was saying. Just a little more. Just a little more.
0: Not just the gist. I really wanted to know more about Dumbledore's downfall. Anyway, at this point, Harry asks the final question. About the end of the prophecy because it spells it out a little better for him and either must die at the hand of the other, for neither can live while the other survives, he closes his eyes and says, does this mean that one of us has to kill the other? Because that's what it says. It's not as vague as the movie made it. But he still isn't declaring that that's what it says. He is asking. And Dumbledore confirms it. And then they all sit in silence again office is just completely quiet and it's so quiet and it's now morning the sun has come up that people are walking around the castle and he can hear them and they're laughing and going to get breakfast and Harry's just like how can people even still want food how are they happy how is it that there are people out there who don't even know or care that Sirius Black is gone forever And. He just remembers that feeling that his godfather is right on the other side of the curtain. And part of him still kind of believes that he could have pulled that veil back and he just would have been right there waiting for a hand to pull him back out. Can you pull somebody out? How long are you trying to make this episode,
1: Carly? (laughs) I know. I just i am curious. I was thinking about that now. What if he had grabbed him?
0: Instead of us discussing this now, I say we make this the pondering. Okay, I'm fine with that. So anyway, Harry's line of thinking, his very, very sad line of thinking, is cut off because Dumbledore has one more thing he wants to tell him. One more confession. He says, you maybe wondered why I didn't choose you as a prefect. It's because I thought you had enough responsibility to be going on with. And I wasn't trying to add one more thing to your plate. And when Harry looks up at him, there's just a single tear trickling down his cheek into his silver beard. End chapter.
1: Love, Harry. Yeah. Love. It's just
0: such a heavy scene, and it's so wrought with emotion. There's anger and sadness and fear and confusion and...
1: The movie was just so meh. The movie was maudlin, and that was pretty much it. It just had one baseline feeling in the whole thing. Like, Dumbledore didn't show. Like, it didn't feel to me that Michael Gambon was portraying that he was a little bit sad for Harry in that moment. Like, he was talking softly and calmly, but it didn't feel like book Dumbledore feels. No, it never did to me. But like I said... This is the
0: end of the chapter, and since there are no movie scenes, we can go right into
1: our Potter pondering. Which is, do you think you could pull someone out from the veil? Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts or call us at 216-526-6792 and leave your response as a voicemail. Make sure that you start off telling us your name and then go into your answer. Don't forget you can also stitch your response on TikTok.
0: Also, we are going to start posting the Potter Pondering videos to social media just after the episode posts, and we're going to go back to reading any responses that are commented on our socials as long as we get them by Friday night since we record on Saturdays.
1: Yeah, so if you really want to hear your thoughts shared but you don't like the sound of your own voice, comment on Facebook, Instagram, Threads, or TikTok ASAP. And we will look for them to record into the next episode. Yep. We really look forward to reading, hearing, and seeing them. We do have a Sorting
0: Hat story this week from Abigail. She writes, Hi, Ellen and Carly. My name is Abigail. My house is Gryffindor. My wand is Sycamore with a unicorn hair core, ten and three quarters inches long, and unbending flexibility. And my Patronus is a deer hound. I got into Harry Potter a couple years ago, I think I was 13. The first time I remember specifically hearing about Harry Potter was when my mom was collecting the books for a friend. I asked what they were, and I think I just immediately wanted to read them because I thought they looked cool. My mom said they were long for me, but I could read them when I was older. So Harry Potter had been in the back of my mind for years. You know the mental I'll read that someday pile. It was actually my sister who started reading them first, and I just saw them in her room and was like, hey, I've heard of those. She said they were pretty good. As an aside, we, one of my brothers and my sister, used to do this thing we called night sneaking, where we would sneak around in our yard in the night pretending to be ninjas or something. We decided we needed a name for our group when we did this. My sister hadn't even started reading the books at this point, but we literally picked Ravenclaw. So, of course, when she started the books, my sister had to tell me about this. She tried to explain houses to me, but I totally didn't get it. I just pictured a literal house named Ravenclaw. She gave up on me and said I would have to read the books if I wanted to understand. I didn't read the books. Yet. Then, I'm pretty sure my sister was on the third or fourth one, so she decided to watch the movies. I didn't have anything else to watch, so she, my dad, my brother, and I all watched the first movie. My immediate reaction? Gotta read the books. I asked my family to pause watching the other movies until I'd read the whole series, but they wouldn't, so I ended up watching the first five movies before I could. I then sneaked the last three books from my sister's shelf and read them in the night. I read Order of the Phoenix in two nights and Deathly Hallows in one. The morning after I finished Deathly Hallows, I had to take it again to read all my favorite parts. My sister totally caught me, but I didn't care. Of course, after this I had to go back and read the first four, and after that I was completely sucked in. Our whole family read them out loud together, and I loved seeing my mom's reactions to everything. She predicted most of it, though. She's great at that. One thing I was really annoyed about was that my siblings kept having her watch the movies first, and you can't really predict much with those because they leave out the details. Another thing that really annoys me about the movies was that so many people's hair color was wrong. I can understand Harry's eyes, but I don't get the hair. Now that I was into Harry Potter, of course I wanted to know which house I was in. I took a random online quiz I found and it said I was half Slytherin, half Ravenclaw. I was pleased about this because I like Slytherin and Ravenclaw is pretty good too. I heart snakes. I really just didn't want to get Gryffindor because Harry and Ron are annoying. So when I got a Wizarding World account and found out, I just yelled GRYFFINDOR. I've warmed up to it though. My sister is a Hufflepuff, my parents and brother are Ravenclaw, and my other brother is Gryffindor. No Slytherins in my family, but one of my friends is. My job in the wizarding world would definitely be a wand maker. I mean, I already am a wand maker in the Muggle world. I've made a wand for myself and my brother, and I think the wandlore stuff is really interesting. So if I were a wizard, I think I would try to be Ollivander's apprentice. If I wasn't a wand maker, I might try to become an unspeakable. The stuff in the Department of Mysteries seems really interesting. Another random thing I wanted to tell you, we fostered a litter of kittens and their mom. We named them Minerva, that's the mom, Ginny, Delphi, Patrona, Bellatrix, who my brother nicknamed Queen Trixie of Truningham. What was also funny about her was that she had a lightning bolt shaped mark on her forehead. Guess what we would have named her if she had been a boy. The last one was Sprout, who we kept. Lastly, it's come to my attention since listening to your podcast that I really like the word metal. Must be the Gryffindor in me. I totally get it, Abigail. I totally get it, being the Gryffindor myself. Thank you so much for sharing your Sorting Hat story with us.
1: Yes, thank you so much. We loved reading it.
0: If any of you other keepers want your Sorting Hat story read, you can send it to us through social media or email it to forfoxsakepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, Patronus, how you got into Harry Potter, and
1: anything else you might want to share with us. We really look forward to reading them. This week's trivia question is, in which particular profit did Hermione read the article about Voldemort returning? The first one who responds with the correct answer and the code word hashtag profit problems will get a sticker. Another way to get a
0: sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes. If you don't have an Apple account, then you can write us a recommendation on our Facebook page. Make sure to email us at forfoxsakepodcast at gmail.com to let us know you did, and we'll get back to you to figure out
1: which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Threads, and TikTok at foxsakepod. Following us on Podbean at foxsakepod.podbean.com, We'll get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. You can also go to our website at forfoxsakepodcast.com to check out our For Fox Sake and Harry Potter related merchandise for sale. Don't forget to subscribe
0: to our YouTube channel where we post our weekly podcast episodes, cooking show episodes, vlogs, bloopers, and other random videos. We have a bit of a backlog on episodes. I did make some progress, and I'm hoping to get the rest up
1: this summer. If you would like to support us as a patron, you can sign up on patreon.com slash foxsakepod. $2 and up a month will get you some awesome perks like, for Fox Sake, swag, access to our Discord channel, chats, virtual hangouts, and more.
0: And join us next week when we talk about the first half of Chapter 38, The Second War Begins and the somewhat corresponding film scenes.
1: Thanks for listening. Hope you hear
0: us again. I'm Carly. I'm Ellen. And we are For For Fox sake. Sake.